Today's scripture reading will be John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Our uh, first song tonight is going to be number 843, As the Deer Panted for the Water. If you would please stand as we sing. As the evening is going to be number 867, Humble Yourselves. Humble Yourselves in the side of the
bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you now to worship you and give glory to your name. We're thankful that you have allowed us this opportunity to gather here today. We pray that you be with the rest of these young men as they lead us into worship this evening. And we hope that it's pleasing in your sight. We also ask you to comfort those who are dealing with loss, illnesses, and we're also thankful for your son to sacrifice, who sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins so, with you have, so we have the opportunity to be in heaven with you. And it is in your name, son, and it is in your son's name we pray, amen. Next song this evening will be uh, uh, The Beautiful Life, number one. Uh, we'll sing the first and fifth verse. Each day I'll do.
The scripture reading for the lesson tonight will be Hebrews 10, 1 through 4. That's Hebrews 10, 1 through 4. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of things, can never, can never with these same sacrifices, which offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then, for then would they not have ceased to be, a, to be offered? For the, worship, for the worshipers, once purified, would have, no, would, have, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. When it comes to my daily life, I have noticed how chaotic and crazy things can get. Whether it be loads of homework I accumulate as of my senior year, or dealing with underclassmen and clubs I help run. No matter what I do, it's almost impossible to get some sort of peace in my life. As soon as I get home, I'm bombarded with chores and cooking dinner, and yes, I can cook. And I, I feel as though I have nothing uh, holding me back, but I do feel as though I, I never have a break. Now, I know many of you here tonight feel the same way, that you don't have a break. So when Jay asked me to do a Devo, I had a perfect idea. Why not talk about finding peace in all the crazy in life? Whether this crazy is dealing with anxiety, depression, or just being unhappy with the life around you. I wanted to present a way to deal with some of life's troubles. So if you would take a moment and think about some ways that you can find peace in your life. I now would like to tell you a little bit about how I've learned to deal with stress, anxiety, all those other things. And my first thing has to be exercise. I exercise about five times a week, and even though it's not biblical, it is a way to relieve stress. Scientists have said that just moving around a little bit can help with stress. I've also found out that breathing deeply and slowly can help with stress. When uh, we get heightened on anxiety or just problems in life, we start to breathe rapidly and shallow. By doing this, it actually makes our symptoms worse. So just take a deep breath in life and things might work out the way you want them. Another thing is splashing cold water in your face. When you splash cold water in your face, it sends shock through the body, which then releases endorphins that act as an antidepressant, which work pretty well. Now, none of these things were biblical, but they were scientifically proven. Now, I would like to turn my attention to the Bible now. So, if you would, please turn to Mark 5, 25 through 29. Mark 5, 25 through 29. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, and she suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and, now, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Now if you move down to verse 34, it reads, And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. This encounter that the woman had was based purely on faith. 
faith that Jesus could heal her and she could once again have peace. This brings me to my first point of tonight. In order to find peace, one must have a strong faith in God. Having faith, or what most people call seeing without believing, allows for you to know that no matter what happens as of today, tomorrow, or any other day, it's not that big of a deal. Faith in God is the ultimate path to bringing you peace. This peace that God promises is unlike any other peace. In fact, Isaiah, while singing praise to God in Isaiah 26, verse 3, says, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. This verse shows that not only will God give us peace, but is a perfect peace. And no matter what you try in life to find peace, you won't get the same results as God's perfect peace. Whether that be you trying to uh, do stuff like video games, uh, TV, reading books, anything like that. God's peace is so much greater. God ultimately is our way to peace. So if you don't remember anything tonight, at least remember that. And if you haven't already found this perfect peace, I'd like to show you a way that you can. Luckily, it's not the hardest thing to do in the world. It is really easy as just reading your Bible to figure out what to do. For example, Philippians 4, 6 tells us, 4, 6 through 7 tells us, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. Now before I break these verses down, I'd like to break down the word surpass in Greek, which means to excel and go beyond. This means that God's peace is unfathomable. Really getting back at the point about how amazing God's peace really is. Now, these two verses in Philippians tell us to pray and be thankful for all we have. I'd say that isn't too hard today. We are very blessed and have a lot to be thankful for and pray for. So this peace is readily available to me, you, and everyone else. So I close you out with this. How will you gain peace in your day-to-day -day life? Will you strive for temporary peace or peace that God can give you? Good evening. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mason Whitesides. Before I begin, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. I attend Jackson County High School as a sophomore. I can eat an abnormally large amount of food, an unhealthy amount of food, but most importantly, I play golf. I can still remember when my parents bought me my first set of golf clubs. We were visiting my sister Hallie at Freed Hardman University, and that night in the hotel, me and my dad decided to go to Academy Sports, where we picked out a set of golf clubs for my 12th birthday. And after hitting a couple balls, I instantly fell in love with the game. I have a lot of controversial opinions on a lot of different subjects, but one of my boldest opinions is that golf is the hardest sport. No matter what you tell me, you will not change my mind. So, it's not the hardest sport because of the physicality, that'd obviously be football. It's not the hardest sport because of the size requirements, that'd be basketball. It's the hardest sport because it's a game that only you can control. You can't rely on your teammates or your coach. You have to make up for your mistakes. And this afternoon, I want to tell you the differences between a good golfer and a great golfer. There are three defining aspects to doing this. Your ability to let bad shots go, the way you practice, and the people you play with. Often in golf, the biggest problem in anybody's game is their temper. I'm responsible for losing it a couple times, if I'm being completely honest. We allow bad shots to define the future of that round. 
And if we can learn to control this, then that will positively affect our game. We can view this in a real world perspective. We're gonna have bad things happen in our life. We're gonna have ups and downs. Um, you know, bad things are gonna happen. But are we gonna stop moving forward after these things occur? Or are we going to keep moving forward and forget our, forget our past mistakes? Because God is all about forgiveness and there's nothing that you can do to change that. We can't dwell on the past over our past mistakes. The only thing we can do is pray for forgiveness and keep moving forward. And one example that comes to mind is Tiger Woods in the 2005 Masters. Um, the 14th hole is kind of now known as the Tiger Woods flop hole because when Tiger Woods stepped to the tee box, he hit his ball straight into the water. And after going up to this ball, he took a drop and he's now hitting his third shot due to the penalty stroke. He hit his fourth shot about 40 feet past the green and mind you that he was in a three-way tie and couldn't afford a bogey. So what did he do? He forgot about his shots. He took a breath and he chipped the ball in the hole, saving par, adding a third green jacket to his collection at the time. And um, one verse that comes to mind after hearing this is Philippians chapter 3, verses 13, 13 through 14, if I can turn to it. And it reads, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those which are behind me and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. So that's that point. And if you're a golfer like myself, then you know that 90% of your time playing golf is done on the driving range. And for those of you who don't know what a driving range is, it's basically a big open field where golfers can practice. It's typically a 300 yards long, 100 yards wide. And like the driving range, I mean, it's a good place to practice because it's basically impossible for you to miss. You have no distractions. You don't have any kind of pressure. So, um, but on the course, the fairway is about 20 yards and you almost have to be perfect while playing. You will constantly be pressured and you'll have all kinds of distractions. So what good does the driving range do if it's 100 yards long and we'll never miss? This is like the church in the youth group. While coming to service and church-related events, you know, we feel comfortable because we're around people we know. It's like our safe spot. But if we only come to church in the youth group and never go into the real world, are we really doing ourselves any good? Mark chapter 6, verses 15 through 16 says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. And spread the word of those... Oh, I'm sorry about that. Go unto all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. It's our job to go into the world and spread the gospel to those who need Jesus. And it's definitely good to go to church every Sunday, Wednesday, or any other events. But if that's all we're doing, are we really doing what God wants? Us Christians fear disapproval and humiliation. We, all, we allow our selfish desires to overcome God's. And finally, the people we play with. If we play with people that aren't focused or lack course etiquette, most of the time we will tend to the same. But if we play with people that are concentrated and know what they're doing and overall good golfer, we will do the same also. So are we going to play with the people that, are, that make us lose focus or will we play with the people that better, make, that better ourselves? This is how we should view our friends. Mark chapter five, verse 39 says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you than one of your members perish than for the whole body to be cast in hell. 
The verse right after that, verse 30 says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast in hell. So in these two verses, God is basically telling us to remove the distractions for our lives. And your distraction may be different. For some of us, it's our friends, and others it's obje an object, others it's the people we hang out with, and, or just anything or anyone that tempts us with sin. We might not like it at first, but if it depends on spending eternity with God in heaven, why would we continue to do it? Golf is a game that only you can control. You make your own decisions. God gives us the ability to make our own decisions, our own decisions good or evil. He gives us the challenges that he knows we can overcome and will give us the resources to do so. I'm going to leave you all with one final question. Are you, going to, are you going to remain focused on your selfish desires, or will you put them aside and focus on God's? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are just so thankful that we can come here and gather and uh, learn about your word and sing praises to you. Lord, we just ask that everyone departs out of here safely, and we just pray for everyone that's been affected by Hurricane Ian. And we're just so thankful for your son Jesus and his ultimate sacrifice on the cross for our sins. In his name we pray. Amen. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Those were Paul's words to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 through 15. They're a reminder to us that even the young can be the example setters. They're a reminder to us that there's a benefit in seeing the progress made by young people in their faith. We've missed out on a great thing for a long time because we haven't had these young people up here leading us in service. Andrew Mason, y'all did a fantastic job. Nick Yun, I've done a great job. And Tristan, you're going to do a great job in a moment. I know that. Didn't want to leave you out. And Ashton, appreciate your prayer as well. It's a blessing for us to return to this format that we're going to do every month, first Sunday of the month. And we're going to have our young people lead us. And I hope you'll make plans to keep that date open on your calendar so you can be here to be a part of that. Because since the pandemic hit in 2020, we kind of stopped creating opportunities for our young men to lead us in service, and it's time we reemphasize that again. So it's been a blessing, gentlemen. Thank you for your leadership and your participation tonight. I don't know if you're aware of this, but we're in the midst of the high holy days. Now, I'm not talking about college football. In fact, I want to forget yesterday altogether. What I'm talking about is the high holy days in the Israelite faith. If you turn over to the book of Leviticus, to the 23rd chapter, you'll see that the Lord outlined his appointed feasts for the Israelites. They were a feast that were to be proclaimed as holy convocations to the Lord, according to the first verse of that chapter. And if you pay attention to the feasts that are mentioned in Leviticus chapter 23, you'll discover that three of them take place during the first three weeks of the seventh month of the Jewish calendar. 
Leviticus chapter 23, verse 23 through 25, tells us that the Feast of Trumpets, which is also known as Rosh Hashanah, takes place on the first day of the seventh month. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 26 through 32, tells us that the Day of Atonement, which is also known as Yom Kippur, takes place on the tenth day of the seventh month. And then if you get to the end of the chapter, verses 33 through 43 of Leviticus chapter 23, tells us that the Feast of Tabernacles, which is also known as the Feast of Booths, begins on the 15th day of the seventh month and continues for seven days. Now, that's the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, not the Gregorian calendar that we use. And the seventh month of the Jewish calendar is known as the month of Nisan. And it began last Monday on September 26th. If you look at your calendars, and if they keep up with religious holidays on them, September 26th will be marked as Rosh Hashanah. And if you count 10 days from last Monday, you'll arrive at Wednesday. And Wednesday will be labeled Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. We are in the midst of the High Holy Days as it pertains to the Israelite faith. And this coming Wednesday will be recognized and observed as the Day of Atonement. Atonement means satisfaction or reparation for a wrong or an injury. It essentially means to make amends. Spiritually speaking, atonement addresses the satisfaction of a debt, particularly the debt of sin. For Israel, that debt was repaid on the Day of Atonement every year. In Leviticus chapter 16, instructions for this day were given, and according to the 34th verse of that chapter, the purpose of this day was to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. So the Day of Atonement was an annually observed holy day in the Israelite faith on which Israel's debt of sin was satisfied or repaid through the sacrifice of animals. For centuries, Israel's sin problem was dealt with on one day through a substitutionary goat that became known as the scapegoat. But there was a problem. There was a problem because the sacrifice of an animal has always been insufficient for the permanent atonement of a person. You see, sins were not really being forgiven by those animals because the blood of animals could not forgive sins of those made in the image of God. They were just being temporarily pushed aside. The author of Hebrews points this out in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, where it says that the law can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. Otherwise, would there not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Every year, the Israelites went through this process, bringing out two goats. One goat would be chosen to be escorted out into the wilderness. He would bear the sins of the people and carry them away. But guess what? That goat was still out there. Somewhere that goat was wandering around eating on grass. It was still alive and those sins were still with it. The other goat 
would be sacrificed on behalf of the people. It was the process that God instituted for them to have their sins atoned for that day, but it lacked permanency. Oh, eventually that scapegoat carrying those sins would kill over and die. But he was out there, and he wasn't really accomplishing full atonement. So we needed a better sacrifice if we ever wanted to have permanent atonement. And that's where Jesus comes into the picture. As the author of Hebrews says, beginning in chapter 10 and verse 10, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then in verse 12 he continues by saying, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, set down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, the permanent form of atonement, accomplishing what the Day of Atonement accomplished but had to do every year. Jesus accomplished it one time for all eternity. As 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This Wednesday is going to come and go. And more than likely, you're not going to think much of it. But if you happen to look at a calendar and you happen to see those words Yom Kippur on Wednesday, I hope you'll be reminded it's a reference to a feast, to a holy convocation that God prescribed in the Old Testament as a means of atoning for the sins of his people. But it was not permanent. And so Christ... The one that John the Baptist would say is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Christ came and died and fulfilled what the Day of Atonement was intended to fulfill for all eternity. We are blessed because we have that atoning sacrifice in the form of Jesus Christ. And this evening, if your sins have yet been atoned for by His blood then we want to invite you to make that decision by confessing your faith that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God, by repenting of your sins, and by being immersed in water for the forgiveness of those sins. You too can reap the benefits of that permanent atonement. If that's a decision that you need to make this evening, then we invite you to come while together we stand and sing.
If you are not able to partake in the Lord's Supper this morning, you can head to the back during the song and the ushers will show you where. Our next song is 583, Sing to Me of Heaven. Sing to me.
Dear Lord, thank you for today and thank you for letting us all come together and worship your name and uh, be with us as we leave here tonight and into the week and to the real world and help us set a good example and please be with the sick and unhealthy. In Christ's name, amen.